Hello and welcome to episode 693 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. And yes, the Super Bowl is indeed upon us. That means everyone thinks they're a pro gambler for the next week or so. We have Tom from accounting shilling his bets to Nancy from HR while they're gathered around the water cooler. It's a beautiful thing to discuss the Super Bowl from a sides and total perspective. I'm joined by one of the most qualified people I know to do so. Former pro better at the highest level has been on the other side of the counter as well. Making lines for sports books has written multiple books along with Ed Miller about sports betting. It is the one and only Matthew Davidow. Davidow, how's it going, buddy? Great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Of course. On today's show, we are going to talk about a few things. First, the Super Bowl from a side and total perspective. We're actually not going to talk about props today. We'll do that on the site in written form and then also on a podcast next week. Talk about some fun props. We're going to talk about side and total. Also going to cover some more high-level betting topics, address some of the stuff in Matt's latest book. We'll see where it goes. Before we get into that, I know many of you are going to bet on the Super Bowl or you're going to bet on March Madness. If you're going to do that, A, you need Matt's book. But B, one of the best things going for bettors right now is the absolute war for your sign-up slash deposit. So before you sign up for any book, head to establishtherun.com, go to the props tab, then go to the page titled ETR Sportsbook Offers by State. You'll find all the sign-up bonus offers there. You'd have to really hate money to not take advantage of them. All right, Davidow. Let's get to it here. I'm curious about the Super Bowl generally, right? Not the specific Super Bowl, but generally. My, my suspicion is that the public doesn't move the line on regular season NFL games very much. Maybe on some island games, but I don't know. Not very much. But I suspect that the public can move the game, move the line on the Super Bowl. Is that true? And how do you think about Super Bowl week and handling public money? So uh, one thing that... You know, people always talk about, you know, the public money, the sharp money, and for sure, for sure, right? You got people like, you know, me in the past and others that have like really, really good models, like people working, literally, there are people working as we sit here speaking somewhere on predicting football better. And if you're not doing that and you're instead, you know, doing your normal day job, night job, you're skiing in the mountains, you're doing whatever it is you're doing today. If you're not the one parsing the data, if you're not the one coming up with a brand new idea to use a shorter sample to make a better prediction on a football game, well, at some point, the people that are putting that time into it are going to predict the football game better, right? So that's when we talk about, like, you know, public versus sharp. It's in a way what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're talking about people that are trying to win versus people not trying to win or trying to win less is but everyone wants to win, right? So you have a situation where, the group with the model, they bet on whoever, you know, the Chiefs last week, the Ravens last week, whatever. And then other people may have found out about this because they were involved. The, the Sharps are often simply involved in helping get these bets down in some way or giving bets to the groups in exchange for information. I mean, if you think about the any bet as a exchange of EV to the person, you know, the, the winner making the bet versus the information that goes to whether or not that's another better bookmaker you know, tout service. I mean, it's all, it's all the same trade, right? You're trading the good information for 
money in some way, right? Mm -hmm. So anybody that's interested in that money, that's like kind of on the sharp side, right? And then we think about the public is back to Nancy at the water cooler, right? Now, Nancy at the water cooler, she's going to bet her $20 or $200 or $2,000, especially in the Super Bowl. And no matter where she bets or how she bets, that was not, that's not going to move the market. It's not going to move the market if she bets the Buffalo Bills on Sunday, October 27th. It's not going to move the market in the Super Bowl. It's going to be the exact same difference, right? Now, you've got another type of what I would still call public better, right? And now this guy's betting, whether it's the Super Bowl or especially, say, the game in October, let's say he wants to bet 100000 There are people that want to bet 100000 on an NFL football game that are not betting on their outputs from their model simulation they're betting for whatever other reason right i mean there's currently there's currently books about it I and mean, we've just there's a book out there right now about professional golfers that do this or people want to bet money right well now this money is going to be is this public money is this sharp money if you're a bookmate you don't necessarily know you can suppose it's public money right but the best way to go broke as a bookmaker is to take a big bet and then not move your number because guess what's going to happen next? Someone's going to hear about this. Oh, if we make this big bet this way, well, they're not going to move their number. Next thing you know, you know, the easiest way to take your, you know, if you're a bookmaker or DraftKings or, 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 I mean, anywhere, anywhere in the world, you want to take a bet for a hundred thousand for many, you're, you're going to win, right? Especially because most of the time these bets are not, it's easy. Move the number. Mm -hmm. You move the number and, you take a bet back, you'll take a bet back. You might see a you know actual sharp account. And this is another reason go <laughs> the limiting discussion is always crazy, right? In my mind, because like like there's so much to it, there's so much nuance to limiting. One reason to not limit is is to you get the information. I'm DraftKings or whoever else. I shouldn't say DraftKings, it could be anybody. I mm -hmm. use DraftKings because I rather like the interface, right? But it could be FanDuel. ESPN bet any large regulated company, right? If they take a bet for a hundred thousand and they have a bunch of accounts that are going to bet straight up because they're giving them enough money on the on the game, what they can do is move the line to a point where they have the best line or close enough to the best line. It doesn't even have to be an arb and see if somebody bets the other side, right? Mm -hmm. So now you take your hundred thousand dollar bet, you know, because you got to move the stake factor up to whatever else. Now you know as soon as you move the line, now you take, you know, maybe the regular limit that you know will get bets five thousand. Take a five thousand dollar bet back. It's like the information that you gained in protecting the fact that your hundred thousand dollar bet is in fact a public bet, huge, right? right? So now you can move the line back and deal with it. But a lot, a lot of times, so so it's tricky. Does the public affect the line? It's obviously affected it there, right? And it does, public does affect that, especially the bigger bets. But yeah, Nancy the Wallach, she's not affecting the October game. She's not affecting this game either. Yeah, I guess my question was more if Nancy, if there's 100,000 Nancys betting 2,000, then you could start to get lopsided if all of the public is on one side. Whereas in the regular season, that would never happen because there's not 2,000 Nancys that want to bet $1,000 or whatever at, at, at your book all on one side and oh. this could be the situation this year too right i mean this is right so the last few super bowls and i haven't paid that close attention to like what the sentiment is but it certainly seems like this super bowl like if you simply look at the data during the season you can 
you easily get like San Fran three or in that ballpark, like anywhere from 55, San Fran, better team. But I haven't talked to anybody like my, that doesn't think that the wrong teams feel like the chiefs mm-hmm. as a dog, Patrick Mahomes, which is, I mean, they just watched the 49ers like barely scrape by two games that they were like in during live betting big dogs and both of them at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know, big dogs last, I guess not the Packers. I think this will be similar to like, so the one I remember is the first year of Wrigley to bet. There's only a couple states. New Jersey definitely be one of them. There was the Patriots versus the Rams. I think it was the 2018 season, the 2019. I hope I have a, might, might be a year later. <laughs> I have to look. But whatever the first year was, and everybody liked the Patriots. I think the Patriots were three, and everybody wanted to lay three with the Patriots against, against Edward Nancy at the water cooler. And there was a definite, particularly in hindsight, it's always hindsight, right? It would have been just fine if the Patriots hadn't covered. But when the companies actually lost the money, they saw what they lost. And all of a sudden, you know, obviously the data is public. It's regularly taxable dollars. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. We shouldn't have, you know, it was like they just realized that their 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 value, you know, what they're offering is the 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 the, the bet that they're offering to, to take the risk. And if they don't pass on that risk to somebody else, then they simply have a large good bet. On, I mean, they had the Rams plus. I don't think the sports folks quite realized that what they were really doing was taking Rams plus three plus one twenty for two million dollars. Right. Right. I I, I want to ask more a couple of general questions, but now that we're here on Chiefs as a dog, third straight game as a dog here for the Chiefs, and I think people are just thinking to themselves, well, whatever happened in the regular season is not that relevant mm-hmm. anymore because they have the best defense in the NFL, arguably, and they have Patrick Mahomes, and I'll just close my eyes and take them as a dog against a Niners team that hasn't really played well since, like, I don't know, week 15, really? So it's not doesn't surprise me that everybody wants to take the Chiefs here with a two-week lead-up to the game. I don't know. It seems like the line isn't moving yet. We've seen it go to even some two-and-a-halves out there. Now 49ers are favored by. So, yeah, any thoughts on the actual line here and then how they're going to handle seemingly everyone wanting to be on the chiefs. I'm surprised that we're the line. I'm surprised that we're the liners now. Maybe, maybe everyone isn't on the chiefs. Maybe, maybe this is our narrative and our circle. And maybe there are people on the night. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the bet date information to show who's been. And most of the people we're talking about, they don't, they don't bet 12 days for the game. Right. They're going to bet on, Sunday, February 11th, and what the line will, you know, I, I'm sur- I'm surprised this is, this is this has gone up. I mean, yeah. like you said, this is a very interesting. You got recency versus you know you know weeks ago data. You you know you've got the way the teams were end up. You know, San Francisco. I like, talked about a, recently being like a good like front runner. Like like this is the team that you you want to lead, but all of a sudden they're not like quite as good. At least as good as like you know the same point favorite. If they're down a couple scores now, maybe <laughs> maybe I was wrong about that watching uh, Purdy and the, the move the ball and come back last week. But I think that's a a reasonable narrative that you know I bought into. Some some I I I'm surprised this is where it's at. Like I, I see like some plus one fifteens out there, and I'm kind of surprised. If you if you wanted to bet the Chiefs, you would do it now. You think? Yeah, I guess so. I, there could be overwhelming sharp sharp i hate that word sharp it could be overwhelming <laughs> call it institutional san francisco money 
Like yeah. it could, there could be a situation where if the right models are saying, hey, this game really should be 57, 58% San Francisco, this could happen. I, I don't know. I don't have any information whatsoever, but this could happen. There's a people's model, and then there's people that want to bet more or less an unlimited amount. And then you can you, you counter that with the fact that the, the place that like, like they're just going to make bets anywhere they can, right? With anybody around the world, this is Super Bowl. It's hundreds of millions of people watching. Everybody wants to bet on it, right? And now you've got the, the regulated industry, which can't really even, they can't write that action back if they want to. I mean, well, maybe if they put up a promotion and like the ESPN bet and everybody talks about it, maybe that's a way to write it back, but they can't write it back if they want to. So then you have a situation where, you know, the maybe a, maybe the, the U.S. regulated bookmakers are seeing worldwide markets that are higher and they don't know what to do. That that could be something that happens here, like higher towards San Francisco. They don't want to give up a San Francisco back because they know that's like the right sharp side. At the same time, here comes everybody on the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, to me, the model point that you brought up is how far back or how much are you decaying the model versus where San Francisco was earlier in this season? I, I know you've been on the betting side, on the modeling side, how would you handle things like the Chiefs and the 49ers who I think are like at a way different point than they were in say week 12 or week 13? So anyone, I don't know that that's true. Anyone like using the data might, like the scores of the games have been that way, but I don't think the play-by-play data for the San Francisco has really changed much. Another very interesting thing about Going back to the K or regression, I mean, if we want to get a little bit into like the nerdy stuff here, San Francisco defense has been weird this year. They have tons of really good players that played well this year. I mean, three or four defensive linemen that have just been dominant. Maybe the best two linebackers. I mean, for my money, the best quarterback is Jadarius Ward. I watch these players like be magnificent week in and week out. I love watching this team, right? And this is a team that's performed to hugely high levels with the same players in past years. However, this year, the actual data on the field has not been that. They've actually not been that good on defense when it comes to a data perspective. So Mm -hmm. now your question is, why haven't they been so good on defense? Has it been a short sample? Could it be coaching? Could it be that even though the players individually are playing great, maybe, I mean, football is the ultimate team game. That's one reason we love it. It's hard to grade the quarterback when you don't really know where the safety is supposed to be and what that help's supposed to be, right? It's hard to talk about a, every pass rush. It's a, it's a team effort. It's about where they line up, how they come off the ball, who, who goes this way, who goes that way. Maybe they're individuals that are better as individuals than they've been as a team this year. All of these are possible. So I, I think a lot of like how to rate, say, San Francisco actually much more comes down to the talent and priors on the defense versus what's actually been on the field. I mean, the Lions ran them over. The Lion offensive line yeah. ran them over. The Packer offensive line, I mean, these are two good offensive lines that have been good. And I mean, the Packers, I think, out more out schemed them more than ran them over. The Lions simply ran them over. What matters more? I, that's, I think, the bigger question. Uh, if I agree with you on the running stuff, right? And the narrative now is that the Chiefs slow games down. Their best chance to win is running the football down the throat of the 49ers where they've been super vulnerable. The total is around 47 and a half right now. I, I think, I believe that's around where it opened uh, 
also, any thoughts on the total here? I, I don't think the public ever clicks the under, but I could see some people, fake sharps, wannabe sharps, being like, oh, yeah, this is a good spot for the under. Any total thoughts here on Super Bowl week? I think that it comes down to the game plans, and it doesn't even mean – when I say it comes down to the game plans, it's not even a matter of like, oh – this team's going to want to run. This team's going to want to pass. And there's a, there's a there's a there's a dynamic to it, right? So if you look at the the the, the Chiefs' two last games, actually been very interesting to me from this perspective. Against the Bills, I think the Chiefs had a great game plan that they were going to basically line up in a in a what amounted to a tight a tight uh, thirty one for you know personnel formation mm-hmm. forced Buffalo. So against Pittsburgh, Buffalo knew Pittsburgh wanted to run. So they they completely changed their defense from what's almost always like a more or less a four, four stack, even when they want to stop the run to, they simply put five defensive linemen on the ball. If you put five defensive linemen on the ball in the NFL and give them all two gap responsibility, it is really hard to run the ball. It doesn't matter, really matter who you are at that point. Mm-hmm. Teams got away from this because obviously running matters less. So Buffalo changed their defense early in the Pittsburgh game. They played five defensive line. Pittsburgh couldn't run. Buffalo got the lead. Pittsburgh adjusted, but it was it'd be too late is one way to look at it, right? And Pittsburgh was very stubborn. They were just simply going to run anyway. Uh, actually, I'll take this to the uh, the Lions last week. Did the same thing for San Francisco. They said, you're not going to run. They, I mean, they always do that, but even more so. They simply played five defensive linemen and rolled the safety up as well. Early in the game, San Francisco still tried to run a handful of times against this front, which they shouldn't have done. They didn't get yards, a couple of reasons they got these starting tens and didn't succeed in the first half. In the second half, they just said, the heck with this. Mm-hmm. You play a five-minute front, we're going to pass, right? We're down 17, nothing to lose. No one's, no one's going to come with this narrative back like the Baltimore game. Kansas City basically did the same thing to Baltimore. They, I mean, I saw uh, – hopefully I get this name right because he's a really sharp football analyst, uh, Ted Wynn. He mm-hmm. wrote an article. He pointed out a bunch of spots where the Chiefs weren't in the five and the, the five down lineman front, and Baltimore could have run or should have run and didn't run. But I watched the game, and every time I was looking at it, like my my take early in the game was, "Holy heck, the live total should be higher because Baltimore has to pass every down. Kansas City is refusing to let them run." Right. So I thought the Monk and I thought the game plan was fine. I think Baltimore did fine. Yeah. Lamar played poorly. So these are the dynamics at, at, at work here. The question is, what happens in this game? And yeah. I, I, I don't know. The adjustments that happened the first half, what are, the, what are going to be the game plans? Are the Chiefs going to decide to take away the San Francisco run the same way they did with the Baltimore run? Maybe it worked. But who's the best at the, this horizontal quick game? The Niners are. These plays were there for Baltimore, too. Chiefs were like kind of ready for them. Baltimore just didn't execute them well. Yeah. San is going to execute it. Debo, you know, he had Debo Samuel in space. And that's a different story than anybody Baltimore has. For sure. Um, okay. So going back to more generally, just a couple Super Bowl week questions. Where, where do you think the books make most of their money on the Super Bowl? I know it probably used to be sides and totals. Now everybody says that they make most of their money on props. And the way I, I kind of think about it is they're only holding, you know, on the Super Bowl line, a very small number in EV, whereas some of these bets, like, will there be a safety? You know, everybody wants to bet yes. The no is actually holding, you know, 20, 30% or something crazy like that for the books, not to mention all the single game parlay stuff. So anyways, I'm speaking on stuff I don't actually know about. Where do you think Super Bowls and the books make their most money this week? Because I've read something that crazy. They've only lost twice in like 30 years or something like that on the Super Bowl. I mean, I guess that makes sense. You just get a, I mean, a lot, a lot of 
of bets down. And when you say they, too, you've got so many different kinds of bookmakers, right? You've got bookmakers that, you know, say not in the U.S. that are booking one way with different tax laws and regulations. You've got, you know, more or less the, the, the old school Vegas model, and they're booking a certain way. And then you got your, you know, ESPN bet. They're booking a completely different way. I would argue that across the board over time, the absolute positively best thing about the Super Bowl for books, for better, for, 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 for anyone who forget make money loves this space is that everyone's talking about it. Everybody wants to, 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 to make a bet. Everyone's thinking about betting. And I'm not sure how much it matters. How, I mean, certainly the large regulated books, it doesn't matter how they do in this game from a, from a revenue, you know, revenue standpoint. Uh, I think I think it matters that, that we're talking about this. Someone put up the line for the safety. That in some places you're able to put up. I mean, Canada. I think you're able to put up a line for uh, uh, Taylor Taylor Swift props. To yeah. me, that's the, the fun part. The, seeing people that aren't interested in football. Not only do they want to have a Super Bowl party, they want to have action on it in some way, whether it's squares or anything else. Now, that's not quite your question. The answer to your question is, I really have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know the, the actual the actual breakdown of and it's changing every year. Right, I remember ten years ago there really weren't a lot of props. Right, and a lot of the old the older school places still don't have a lot of props. Yeah, who has props? The 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 you know the the large large corporations whose goal is to provide the best entertainment to the most people. So I, I would imagine they're going to make tons of money on the you know same game parlays and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of the 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 the, the sites I've been on, it can be hard to find like say a first half bet versus it's easy to figure out how to you know exactly bet the quarterback over exactly. And that was actually you know one thing that I I, I wanted to bring up. I'm sure you've seen this um, upcoming mainstream media pieces. The 60 Minutes is doing a piece on sports betting. ESPN Outside the Line is doing a four part piece. I, I noticed. When I watch the games, it's like somewhat uncomfortable. I'm sitting there with my kids, you know, they're they're uh, almost nine and six, and every commercial is like, "Come bet it at the mm-hmm. sports book," and mm-hmm. that's I think gonna raise the eyebrow eventually of regulators. So I I don't know I I, I don't think anything like the limiting would ever happen. I think what you can say though is you can't market stuff like, "Hey, come win in our book." I'm Jamie Fox. Come win in our book, and then if you come win at the book. They just limit you, right? It's like a marketing thing to me. And also what you just brought up, you can't even find the bets like a first half line that might be, they might be holding 5% on or something, but it's really easy to find the SGPs where they're holding 20, 30% on. That feels a little bit not right to me and could be regulated also. So anyways, what do you think about where the industry is at in terms of regulation or anything else? I I, I agree with what you said. I think it seems very wrong to me from a, public policy perspective not that i'm trying to you know i'm not trying to get about way to pretend i know anything about public policy but when i when when i when i see these advertisements i think about my kids seeing it and my kids thinking oh i can win betting sports and meanwhile no no you can't <laughs> their hold is huge and you're battling against people that are currently working on data while you're not working on data and my 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 son has gotten very 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 into football, and he 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 loves to 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 think that 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 he can like pick the games. And I mean, by all means, pick the games. I think it's great. Decide like this team, decide like that team is great thought exercises. I, I, there's a lot of good things about it. But when you have 
what are now partners with the government coming on your TV and basically saying, hey, if you bet here, you might win money. It's just, it's just really, it's, that's not a thing that's, that's going to happen. The whole, the, 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 particularly the way the regulations are set up, every, all these products have to have gigantic, gigantic holds right. in order to basically make the companies profitable, right? It's not right. that different than, say, the 6 to 5 Blackjack in Vegas. Uh, to be clear what David, I was saying, they're partners with the government because in some states, the tax laws are so uh ornery that you basically i don't know like new york is something crazy like 50 or 60 percent or something insane about how much of your profit as a book and how much the licensing fees are that's what you mean by partner with the government right? yeah the, 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 and it, the regulators are and, and i'm not saying this is wrong the regulators are dictating how the businesses need to be run right. so if the regulators are more or less in the Honestly, they don't realize this. Everyone's trying to do the right thing for the, you know, the, the the intentions are all good. But I, what's coming out of it currently is there's a commercial on the TV that's more or less telling my eight year old that he's going to make money if he, you know, bets on sports, which is right. I don't think that's a good thing. All right, one more industry topic. I went on uh, bet the process with Jeff and Rufus to talk about this whole ESPN bet thing from the divisional round where ESPN bet for you guys who didn't follow it basically the market was painted it was everybody had ravens nine and a half minus 110 espn bet offered a boost to ravens minus nine and a half plus 110 in other words gave you the opportunity to be the book on a very very well established line that was likely correct from an ev perspective now people think oh no big deal there's boosts all the time they're not boosts all the time on sides they're not boosts all the time before playoff games and most of the boosts are capped at like 25 or 50 bucks people were getting five six figures on this boost and one of the the question was like why like why did espn bet do this and you know the first thing was like well they probably got a lot of deposits but then i was thinking they didn't even advertise this they didn't talk about it on espn they didn't tweet about it none of their guys were talking about it and do they really want to advertise and get a bunch of people on that are very price sensitive i mean how many people on earth actually care about plus 110 versus minus 110. Only the betters that can actually win. So then I was thinking it was probably just they took a bunch of action on one side and they were trying to get it on the other. But then I was like, you don't all go have to go all the way to plus 110 to get action on their side. You could go to plus 100 or you could go to minus 102 and you would get plenty of action on that side too. So I don't know. I, I still have my hard time getting my head around it. It strikes my current lean is just incompetence from the people at Penn. Uh, but I really have no idea. Any thoughts on the whole ESPN bet saga? Uh, I mean, you changed my mind slightly on this before the show. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in depth, but when you pointed out that they, they hadn't advertised it, it clearly was not like an intentional promotion. Like my 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 argument for why would they do it if they had done it is simple. We're talking about it two weeks later, two and a half, you know. Yeah. So so I I think there's maybe something to that, but more so. If in fact they took a really big bet, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. This is all completely hypothetical. But if you're ESPN bet and you take a really, really big bet for whatever reason, you might not want your your you know your 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 shareholder, or I'm not like I'm not talking past my knowledge here, but like no company wants how they do or how someone's job, like whether or not the VP or whatever keeps his job, to come down to whether or not the oblong ball bounces left, right, or sideways. Yeah. That maybe they knew they had to take the big bet for whatever reason. They couldn't be on record as not taking the bet. Now they just didn't want the risk, right? So 
while you you said, hey, why not just move the line to even money? Well, the truth is, places like ESPN bet that they're generally they're not after the type of player that's going to have a bunch of money in his account. And if he wants the Texans, or even if he gets a, you know, two, three cent, four cent arm, is going to take that bet. This is not their business model. I'm, I'm speculating again here. They might have already limited some of the people that would have made that bet. Mm-hmm. For, they, took, they took the limits off for this, but yeah. No, no, I mean like limited them in general. So yeah. if, I don't know how a lot of the places do this, but I know definitely there's some places that simply, that once they realize that you're looking for edges and that your entire customer profile is looking for edges, they simply move your limit down low enough to where, yeah, you can still play if you wanted to, but it just makes it not worthwhile. That's sure. like, the, I think the general current industry standard of, of how to deal with a, a customer that's not helping their bottom line, which honestly, I think it's fine. But if you do that, well, you, you now can't get that same customer. You know, the customer's not funded. The customer's right. going to have no idea he can make a big bet, right? So what they did is they put this promotion out, basically, and got all of Sharp Echo Chamber Twitter talking about how you could deposit 100000 or whatever if you had money in your account. And, and I mean, I, I know people that, like, you know, were, like, recommending to all friends, hey, go put that $10,000 bet you know, bet it, you know, into the account. And so it, it, I would argue that they actually couldn't have balanced the bet any other way. Mm-hmm. At, this is again, my new thought yeah. talking to you. This was the, probably the only way they could balance it. Why do they want to balance it? Why do they not want to like take EV? I think this is possibly even more interesting. I read a lot on Twitter about, you know, the people that are talking They're generally, generally they've come from a background of, 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 in various ways, whether it's working or betting, how they're putting food on the table comes down to how much money they make, how good their bet is, right? You get plus 102 on a coin flip. Like, oh, I tell my son, I'm like, I mean, I flip coins with them, right? This is how I'm teaching him this. I'm like, okay, you get plus 102. I have money and he has money. And he sees the difference over 100 flips, right? Mm-hmm. If that's how you've put food on the table, whether because you're working for someone that does that, a corporation, a company, a bookmaker, a Vegas bookmaker, doing it yourself, et cetera, you you've internalized the whole idea that, that that gambling sports gambling comes down to whether you have plus 102 on the 50 percent shot or minus 102 right. at the end of the day you're either gonna have have money in whatever else or you're going to lose your money based on whether or not, but espn bet doesn't care if they get plus 102 or minus 102 honestly like any small edge for them with regulations and marketing and stuff ends up being a loser. All of the scorecards of all of the people in ESPN bet have to do with other metrics, different fractions of how much they earn per customer, how much they earn per spend to get the customer overall for all revenue, revenue on certain products. And that revenue has to be large. It can't be plus one Oh two versus minus one Oh two. So that what I think a lot of people are missing when they're like, well, wait a second, why don't they just do 1% better? Is that 1% doesn't matter. It's a, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking the different goals. It just doesn't matter. What mattered was whether or not they had a coin flip for 10 million or not. Yeah. So I would say, why take the bet? If you don't want to be lopsided, why take the original bet that got you lopsided, right? If they got 3 million from mattress Mac or whatever, you know, why, why even take it? If you don't want to be lopsided, I would, tend to 
agree with that question, but maybe maybe it wasn't thought through correctly beforehand. Right. Maybe maybe whoever it was or whatever it was better, maybe they kind of like had to. Like this is a completely different type of situation, but something that, that I know has happened in the past. I'm probably didn't happen here because it's a different type of business. But imagine you have a imagine your Caesar's Palace and you have a giant gambling better whale, and this this has definitely happened in the past. Who they're, they're playing table games, they're playing slots, they're just a giant overall. Well, that player wants to bet, you know, three million on the on the just on on the on the NFL playoff game. Well, yeah. somebody upstairs is going to call it out and say, hey, "Mr. Sportsbook Director, you take that bet, right?" right? But now the sportsbook director, he has to answer for his overall, you know, profit, right? So he's been basically told he has to take the bet. And I mean, there could be another thing that I don't understand with the ESPN bet that could have caused this. Well, now he's got the bet. He can't call the guy back up and say, hey, get me a bet on the other side. That's up to him. And his sure. ass is on the line for how he does on the season. And when he goes to the to the board or his bosses at the end and says, well, you know, wait, a, I have plus EV on that minus three million. They're going to say, <laughs> You had an electric vehicle on that on that situation. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is apples to oranges. I, I think that's a lot of what's missed. All right, let's get to the book, the latest book, and the first book, of course, was called "The Logic of Sports Betting." Everyone should read that. The latest book from Ed Miller and Matt David, I was called "Interception: The Secrets of Modern Sports Betting." A lot of this book, whereas the logic of sports betting is more, I think about how to think about bets and how to think about generating EV. A lot of this book comes from what I'm actually more interested in, which is how sports books today work and how they are exploitable because of that. And I think the overall premise that you guys have is the technology is so failed in this space. There's so many things that have to work together. There's so many markets and ground that the books have to cover that it's actually, you can actually win. And you don't have to have some crazy model, I think is what you're saying. You just have to know where to look and where the sports books might be weak because of all of the things that they have going on so why write this book how would you compare this book to the first one and any big takeaways for people that they should look out for in the latest book so the the, the first book which is you know the logic of sports betting and that that book was planned like we had an idea we 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 wanted to to write the book we did not only get the information out there, but to be the people that, that did so, to, 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 to be honest, they got the information out there that was going to be there for years to come. Information that was always going to be, always going to be relevant. Uh, it's funny, I had a, one of my favorite lines from that book is a synthetic hold, one of the tenets of the book, really, right? And what it, this is logic. And what it means is that as a better, you could decrease the hold by adding books. And that the synthetic hold was a, a term that, I made up while we were writing the book. I'd never used it before and I'd never heard it before as far as, you know, I know your memories go. And I had a friend the other day, literally he was talking to me about something else that he used synthetic hold in a different context. Now he's read the book. He's a sports guy. And honestly, I was, I was so proud of that. I was like, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we were going for. So we wrote like the first book for those purposes, right? We had business ideas in mind and there was a new world with the, with the the past, so it was past here was coming all this gambling, and we wanted to be the person that wrote that book. So that was the intention of the book. People are, it still sells a ton more than we would have ever expected it to five years later. But that was that interception was was written because well, particularly Ed at the time was like, hey, 
I got some things I want to write about. I, Ed loves writing. He's, I mean, I guess I'm hugely biased here, but the best writer I know. He loves writing. He had some ideas. He wanted to, to share those ideas. And there's a lot of good things that happened, like that, that come from like books that, that, that are important to my life, important to Ed's life that I think probably people don't see. It's not about like every book you sell, but it's, it's about doing something. And I mean, we all have kids or you have kids. I want to teach my son that it's good to write mm-hmm. my daughter. I, I, and, and, and that type of, that type of enterprise is, is fulfilling. So if you have something you want to say by all means, you know, so the second book was simply, we had what we thought was interesting that we wanted to share Ed, such a fan, you know, like I said, fantastic writer. So we were like, heck with it. We got a little little time this summer. Let's write a book. And like, so the first book, we spent so much time. Everything was outlined. Everything was thought out. Interception's not that. Interception was, was Ed wrote a literally half a book just on thoughts that he had. And then it's like, okay, what do we do from here? I started writing some stuff, things that I had no idea we were going to write about before I literally was sitting there with my laptop writing and I'm really, really proud of, you know, Interception. I mean, Logic Sports Spanners was good, but I really think that Interception is the, 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 the better book. And something funny, somebody also, somebody I saw a review that was uh, one of the very, very few non-five-star reviews. And he made a very fair point for him. It would have helped him last year. And this year, maybe some of the information in there was, was like, they, maybe you weren't going to quite pick up this book and know how to win a sports book. But that's tough. It's tough yeah. to win a sports book. We're not trying to say, hey, read this book and you're going to go win. Read the book because it's going to make you think about all kinds of other parallels in life from maybe a viewpoint of the, the, the sports books. I'm sure there's things in this book that are that are relevant across industries and across thoughts. It's it's a great book. I and I completely agree that you're not about to pick it up and go, you know, bust ESPN bet. Sure. I I think the most interesting thing for me is kind of adjusting my thinking to not who's going to win the game or how can I figure out what this player is going to do, but where might the sports books be making a mistake? And so like, it's really easy for them to model. You know, I think there's an example in the book, like chiefs are up 14, nothing five minutes into the game. That spot has happened a thousand times. It's really easy to model. The live line there is likely right. But is the Mm -hmm. live line right? If I'm watching a WTA 500 match and mm-hmm. you know the minus 700 favorite gets down and maybe it looks like she might be cramping a little bit you know like th- that like thinking about even though I don't I- I'd much rather be able to win on the NFL because it's fun and I follow it like the place where I actually want to make money is where the sports books have a harder time modeling and I know that sounds super simple but if you read the book go through a lot of spots in there where the sports books are going to have more trouble yeah than others um all right here we go get the book for Matt's kid, for Matt's, kid. For, for <laughs> Matt's family. He gets, he gets 10 cents for every, every book sold. I, I, I wrote a book a long time ago and sometimes I'll check my bank account and I'll be like, wait, what is this $14 and 55 cents from? And that's like how many books I've sold in the last like six months. I get to $14 and 55 cents from Amazon. So yeah, it's your great. book is your book is great. Adam. It's one, of the, <laughs> one of the funnest books I've ever read, honestly. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. All right, Matt, I don't know if you want to be found, but if you do tell the people where you and your work can be found other than in the Amazon book streets. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I yeah. haven't been active on it. You got to get the hot takes out. I know. Here's I heard you right, right, right here, Adam. Let me let, let's, let's, uh, 
I, I really enjoy these these uh, the, 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 these shows. You know, Dude, with the few people on. that I really enjoy talking to. Find me here again. Fine, Matt will be back here. But before he leaves, I heard him on Bet the Process again defending Matt Canada. These are the kind of takes that you need to give out on Twitter so that you can just battle people until the end of time. And I don't want to get into it here on Matt Canada because I obviously disagree, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What we need is Matt Davidow tweeting takes like Matt. It wasn't Matt Canada's fault on Twitter. That's that's what we need. Okay, then maybe I'll do that. Okay. Like, what my life needs is more social media arguments. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about props with Silva and some other guys from our team. For David out. For producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.